Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 948 with Seven Chen. And it's kind of like you're fitting into a, a path or a pattern that already exists instead of creating it your own, but you get to do it your own way. And that's the part I think most people don't understand. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. Looking to make your life easier? Then seven shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, hit labor targets, and keep your entire team connected. With drag and drop scheduling, in-app communication, task management, tip management, and more, it makes restaurant work a lot easier. In fact, I haven't come across a restaurant tour using seven shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Restaurant Unstoppable listeners get three months absolutely free get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s h i f t s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months free and join over 30,000 restaurants using seven shifts today with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest co-founder of KSB Restaurant Group, Seven Chan, uh, which consists of Pokey Burrow, Lifting Noodle Ramen, uh, Baku ATL, Atlanta Teriyaki, Umbrella Bar, and KSB Consulting. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Uh, always. Yeah, I love being on the show. Dude, second second time on the show. Welcome back. Um, Thank you. And we've stayed in touch since having you on yep. the show, you've joined us in the network to talk about uh, your area of expertise, which is moving containers and uh, food halls, really just non-traditional restaurant concepts, right? Which, I, which is one of the reasons why I really wanted to connect with you. The biggest reason is because you just look at the industry different. Like you don't have, you didn't come up traditionally. If you guys, Always. yeah, if you guys want to, I recommend you hit pause right now and you go to restaurantstoppable.com slash 615. Five, uh, like we mentioned, seven. This is his second time on the show. We share his whole come up story in that first episode. We go deep into what he is, or who he is and what he's all about. If you want to get a better picture of who Seven is, start there and then pick up with this episode. Uh, we're going to basically pick up where we left off today, and I'm I'm really excited because when we first had you on the show, you were like 1.5 years into being a restaurateur. You had opened, I want to say, two locations, and you had plans to open 12 in the next by 2019. 
So like you had some aggressive goals, dude. Yeah. And um, I was like, let's see how this goes. And I was, I'm not absolutely. gonna. I was, I was a little skeptical. I was like, I wonder if he executes <laughs> it. This will be, this will be interesting. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it's one of those. Uh, you don't know better. And like one of the things that I always say is like, I'm, I, I'm too like stubborn or too dumb to quit things. So yeah. I just make it happen. So dude, ignorance can be blessed. Yeah, exactly. When you don't know better, sometimes you do it. You know. If like, you didn't know, would you do it? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe yes, maybe not. But I would yeah. probably do some things differently, you know. So like, this is where listening to the podcast is great. You get the experience of people that have done it before. You yeah. Know? So I think the goal you said back then was uh, by twenty wait by twenty nineteen you want to have twelve locations. The year now is twenty twenty two. Yeah. You have from the last time I counted ten pokey berries and seven seven lifting seven lifted noodles okay. ramen. Um, you also have the teriyaki concept, mm-hmm. and you also have Baku ATL. Mm-hmm. So altogether, how many concepts or how many locations? Yeah, I mean, people ask me that all the time, and I should probably know the answer to that. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're at somewhere between 20 to 30 restaurants across four or five different concepts right now. So it's and- safe to say you exceeded your goal. Uh, yeah, be careful what you wish for, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, I might think, uh, you know, it's a double edged sword and, you know, we opened a lot of these during COVID. So, you know, like it's, it's been like a controlled chaos to, to chaos, but nothing that, uh, I guess we, we can't handle or we've been figuring out as we go, you know? Yeah, man. I love it. Um, so do we have you share the success quote? that. Yeah, no, we didn't do it yet. Oh, yeah. well, let's do that. Okay. So, like, yeah. I'm excited to pick up where we left off, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling <laughs> with a success quarter mantra. What yeah. do you got for us? So, I don't know if this is necessarily inspirational, but this is like a thing that I live my life by based on who I am. And, uh, you know, for me, I think uh, one of the quotes that I always use is, uh, I am not a king, I am a conqueror. Mm. And so, like, put me out there. I'm here to fight the battles, win the things, like, expand new territory. But I am not the greatest or my favorite thing is not the managing. It's not dealing with the day to day. Like I'm out there to win battles. I'm here to fight. I'm here to like achieve things for us. You, you have know? the most calming, calming disposition of a conqueror I've ever met. <laughs> uh, very calm energy. And uh, but what do you mean by like, why, why is it yeah. important to be a conqueror? Um, I mean, I think you can't just be complacent, you know what I mean? And I, I think like, I mean, what, I think the saying that I gave last time I was on the show still reigns true, which is, uh, just take a step forward every day, you know? So, I mean, I think for a lot of people, they do that when they first start their business, the first few months, and there's an obvious checklist or things to do or what to do next. But for me, like, I know that to, for my success, I have to be out there fighting battles every single day. I have to take a step forward every single day. Yeah. And that's how we've become the most award-winning restaurant in our city's history. Yeah. That's how we've achieved things that no other fast casual restaurants ever have. And, you know, it, it sounds maybe intimidating, but if you just take a step forward every day and you put yourself in that mentality, you know, that's what you have to do. Because it's really easy to be caught up in the, the king work or the management work. But if you're doing it, then you take a step forward on a regular basis, you're going to be ahead of everyone. That's how like Michael Phelps is uh, Michael Phelps or like uh, Jason schooling became Jason schooling and beat Michael Phelps. You know, that's a weird story. I tell people too. Wait, so what is the difference between a King and a conqueror? Yeah. So a King, I think in my mind is a person that sits on a throne and they manage things, you know? So like someone comes, here's the problems you come figure it out. You know, this person, you do this, you do this, but like, you know, that, that's things that most people have to do. But that's not the part where you're growing your business. That's not the part where you are expanding. You're you're achieving new things, you know. And I have to do both all the time. But like, if I could, I would be full time conquering. Where yeah. a lot of times I'm just putting out fires everywhere I go, yeah. you know. Yeah, I got you, man. Um, and ironically, when we had you on in 2019, 
that was, I mean, more or less your same mantra. Uh, yeah, it yeah, hasn't I mean, changed. You said, like, a little bit more aggressive yeah, now. Like, I think based I on think, things I we've think been the through. The way you said yeah. it, then it was just like moving forward every yeah, day, like absolutely. like progressing every day. Something new, going towards my business every day. Even if you're up until two a.m., if you haven't checked that box, um, you're, you're staying up an extra thirty minutes longer absolutely. to make sure something moves forward. And that's what we used to do, you know. So like, you know, we used to work in the restaurant. Me and Ken. Uh, you know, the whole day, you know, open and close. And it took me like going home and working until two, three in the morning. And like, you know, that's what it takes sometimes, whether you choose to or not. Like, I'm not the smartest or most hardworking person, but I compensate with knowing that I have to move forward and I have to take the steps forward at whatever cost. Got it, man. Beautiful. Great way to get this thing started. So uh, when we last, I already kind of set the listeners up. When we last left off, you were at uh, two locations with 12 scheduled to open in the next year or so or by 2000 i think 20 you wanted to do that yeah, I can't remember. Around there. Yeah. yeah um we kind of let the listeners know where you are today but let's kind of pick up where we left off yeah uh what was going on back when you had i think just the your first pokey uh burry location i think you also had the lifted ramen or the lifted yeah, ramen. i think that's all we really had and then we were working on the next ones so what were the next ones what, what happened since then uh yeah i mean i guess uh i mean we took off in franchising and then you know we've been on the development side of uh franchising too and that's been really exciting and i, I think for a lot of people everyone imagines that's like mcdonald's chipotle these like giant companies but uh you know the majority of the franchises in this country are small businesses like us and like to cross that barrier of knowing what that really means changed everything for us, you know? So, you know, we used to think you need to have all this money to get to your next store, all these like, like things. But, you know, there's a concept in place that like franchising to me, like, I hate that word. Like, you know, I don't, I never want to be copy and paste. We're always a hole in the wall, but you know, it's just a legal structure. It's a way to get things done. And for us, once we figured that out, we went from like the two locations to the majority of the locations now are now franchises. And it's just an easier way to grow if if that's your goal and the path why, that you want to go Why is it on. an easier way to grow? Yeah. So, I mean, um, some ways are you get to have help, you know, and people that have skin in the game. You don't have to raise all the money. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of programs that can help you get the money or help you find the people. And it's kind of like you're, you're fitting into a, a path or a pattern that already exists instead of creating it your own. But you get to do it your own way. And that's the part I think most people don't understand. So when you say you get to do it your own way, you're talking about as a franchise or not yeah, a franchise as a franchise or. Yeah. So, you know, I think everyone thinks like, you know, you have to be a Chipotle. You have to be a McDonald's. Everything needs to be the same. Everything is copy and the paste. But like it's just a path that you can follow and you customize it to whatever works for you. So, you know, let's say for us, our stores don't all look the same. They all look weird and different based on where they are and the location. You know, or let's say, you know, we have different menu items in a lot of different places based on that location. We'll have some, we'll always have something that's for that city specifically, you know? So it's kind of like, it gives you a structure that other people can understand and jump on board to your like bandwagon, yep. but you still can kind of do what you want. So what exactly, like if you're distilling the most simple form of what a franchise is, I know we're getting really basic yeah. right now, but like, what is like, like you, cause you said people think of a Chipotle or McDonald's when they think franchise, they think of that same level of scale, but what is the technical term like what do you have to be to be a technical franchise yeah i mean i think to technically be a franchise it's really just about legally structuring yourself in a certain way and i think a lot of people 
they they try to create like these all these crazy weird ways to grow you know like i'm gonna find an investor here and then we're gonna do this and then i'm gonna open 10 restaurants myself and then i'm gonna get some people to do this and my manager's gonna level up or you know it's just like all these weird things like you're kind of like trying to build your own path when there's like an example of how to do things already and whether you do follow it exactly or you go your own way it's just a, a a roadmap that most people don't really understand that it exists for them. You yeah. Know? So it's a it's a legal definition, but like, yeah. what is that definition? What is that legal? Definition? Uh, the legal definition is literally just you need to have like an FDD, your franchise disclosure document, and certain registrations with um, you know with the government, the SBA, depending on what you want to do. So you know, it's just a legal structure, you know, because we hate franchise the, that word, and we hate like people feeling like. Oh, you know, it's a copy and paste or you are like a Subway or Chipotle. No offense to them. They're obviously great businesses. But, you know, like we always want to be a hole in the wall. We want to be the weird local place. We want to be something different. And you can be that when you're a franchise. And most people don't think that. So just like a LLC is a legal definition or a legal entity, a franchise is a legal entity. Yeah, exactly. And when you you open a franchise, you as the franchise or Mm -hmm. in the, the relationship between the franchisee, what exactly is that? Yeah, so I mean, that's the part that I think is the hardest part of this business for me. So, you know, like I always tell people, like my, my partner Ken has three kids, and it's like I have thirty kids, and every single day someone has a different kind of problem or, you know, things that like I, I think when you you get a lot of people that are franchisees that don't have business experience, and they come to you kind of for everything, and they they imagine that they're still in a job and there's a boss there, and I think that's one of the bigger challenges that I face. So, example is like. You know, we have a plumbing problem, something floods and people are like, seven, come help me. And I'm like, I'm not a plumber. Like, what do you, what do you want me to do? Yeah. You know, or the power went out today. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? You know, so like building that relationship and understanding those boundaries, I think is really one of the yeah. biggest challenges. And, and it's just like any other business where like, okay, like you hit a roadblock. What do we do when you figure out what to do? Yeah. That goes into the protocol book, right? That every franchise. So your job as a franchisor is to empower and serve yeah. the franchisee. Just like if you, you are a restaurateur, your job is to empower and serve everybody underneath your. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're like a LLC or independent like restaurant concept, like your job is to serve everybody who works for you, right? Yeah. It's the same relationship. You're there to serve your team. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And give them the tools they need to be successful. And those tools are things like systems, processes, yes. uh, recipes, branding, and we'll keep going off that yeah. step. So let's say, I mean, those are the things that I think that that's what makes you a good franchise. You provide that support, you provide that help, give them the systems, marketing, whatever it is. You know, but I, I think the expectation when a lot of people buy franchises is that you're giving them success. But, you know, if I can give people success, I'm giving everybody success. You know, what I yeah. mean? like I'm like Oprah, I'm just giving it everybody. But that's like not how it works. You, you know, you yeah. I actually know that guy, by the way, that made that promotion. And he's a I'm not going to say his name right now, but he's yeah. kind of a weird dude. Kind of oh, a weird right. dude. Yeah. It's kind of like I, I can tell this story, but like we, I went to his <laughs> office to meet with him and he has a big sign in the lobby with his company name. I come back an hour later, they took it down. He rented that space in the front of the building oh to put his company name on for like a few hours for that meeting and then it was gone later. Oh my gosh. You know? It's yeah. all about perceived value or perception. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, he's yeah. a cool guy. I have nothing bad to say, but it's kind of a weird, funny story. And I'm like, you don't have to do that, dude. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, it makes no difference to That's me. That's funny. So, on, on this idea of like the relationship between franchisee and franchisor, um, what does the franchise e own, and what do you own? Yeah, so I mean, in a way, they they are responsible for their own success and you know how well they do. Um, but I want to say they 
they that's the hard boundary or line to cross, you know? So in theory, like I want to see them as they're an operator of this business, you know? So like, I want them to do everything the same way that I'll do it in one of my stores. But for them, uh, they feel like, you know, I'm going to listen when it makes sense and I'm not going to listen when it doesn't make sense. And that's probably one of the most frustrating things because I want to say everyone that does follow our system is successful like that's factually true and uh you know at least for based on our track record but the people that kind of go off and do their own things those are the less successful stores those are the people that kind of repeat the same problems over and over again and i'm like well that's why you bought the franchise so you don't have to do that part you know so it's a question of what they feel like in their mind they should follow or not when yeah. they should follow everything and like i feel like franchisee if you want to become a franchisee if you want to buy into a franchise i think people who work well in those models are, are natural born managers people yes. who can be can get get handed a system and a process and execute it and that's really what you're doing if you're somebody who wants to get involved in the restaurant industry but you don't feel very creative or if you don't like building systems if you don't like like your job is to execute it's not to actually build out the systems you're, yeah you're, exactly yeah. You so know. i think it's it's good for some it's better for some people yeah you know yeah. if if you want to be a manager but you want to have like the sky is the limit is for your growth then that's the path for you right yeah and i mean that you just touched on something that is a that that's another key of the franchising part where you don't open it just because there all these things are in place but you open up you pick a franchise because it's it, much easier to get to your second location your third one or your second restaurant you're or handed whatever the system yeah, you don't exactly. have to build that yeah. stuff you're just you're just putting bodies in the the system and yeah. managing that and you have a much higher chance of success assuming that you listen and you follow the rules you know so how many different franchisees or franchises do you have um well we have I think four or five different concepts now and each one is uh so almost all of them are unique franchisees but we are at a point now which is actually kind of franchises cool or franchisees uh franchisees okay yeah yeah um so let's say i mean something that's cool that i've been trying to work to or that is happening is uh you know some of our franchises are opening their second store third store and so that's like the dream you know yeah but like not everyone is gonna do that not everyone wants to do that but that is the intention and we are getting there which i'm super excited about yeah so you only working with four franchisees right oh, now. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's like 2030, but four concepts. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, and those are all separate entities. Yeah, exactly. Is there an umbrella that like, is that the KSP? Yeah, that's like the KSP restaurant. Group. And they own all of the franchises. Uh, well, I guess we're the franchisor. Yeah. So okay, like, we, have, we have like a piece of it, you know, in, in the regular franchise way. And KSP is like our, our parent company for everything. And it's like me and Ken's lab for like our weird ideas and new things that we want to do. So that's like the parent company for everything. Got it. So, what has been your biggest challenge with because right now how many different cities are you in uh yeah i mean uh we are mostly in atlanta still like you know we have eight to 12 locations here but we're in philly raleigh houston florida we're, we're in a bunch of places now so i want to say about 10 different cities if i had to guess and how many different franchises did you say you had uh, 20 to 30 in total. So 20 to 30 people yeah, that you yeah, have to manage yeah, all the and, time. Yeah. And of those 20 to 30, how many of them are operating more than one location? Uh, I think three right now. Three. Yeah. And then so, so a few of them are growing and or finding their next locations. What has been your hardest challenge? Uh, really dealing with the people. And I think, I mean, COVID was obviously like a big deal, you know, uh, you know, we, we haven't seen each other since COVID and it's like changed a lot of things. And, uh, I mean, I'm really happy that like we have done 
much better and had a much better track record than a lot of our competitors. But, you know, it's been a hard time, too. It's been like a struggle and you know, there's been good things and bad things. And I think a lesson I've only learned recently is, uh, you know, imagine like I've been trying to help everybody for the last two years. I've been trying to like subsidize things. I've been throwing out promotions and weird stuff. And, you know, I, th- I think it's, uh, it's like the same. You can drag someone across the starting line but you can't take them to the finish line you know so like one of the things i've learned from people that like have six thousand restaurants or two thousand restaurants is you know it, it may not be in the best interest of everyone or the company as a whole to try to spend all your time to help people the people that are struggling like you do what you can but you can never lose focus of the real goal of the future of the growth and the big picture you know? so what is the real goal for you um, I think my that hasn't changed since the last time we talked. And I see you smiling because you probably remember. But like everyone's like, "Hey, seven years, you're so successful. And you have all these things and awards. Like, what do you want?" And I'm like, "I want a house, a dog, and a girlfriend." And uh, right now, I have the house, uh, which you know, and I've mentioned. But uh, you travel just, too much just, for a dog. Just, just nor- normal stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> I can relate to that, yeah. man. I'd love to have a dog. But. I've only been home seventy days this year, and I've counted it up. And my travel days are sixty something days. So I've been in travel in the airport or like you know on a plane as many days as I've been in my actual house this year wow um so i mean there's you're you're pretty aggressive with your growth right like say say you're being pretty aggressive you're trying to conquer Mm -hmm. you're a conqueror what are the challenges with growing that fast what have you experienced oh i guess i mean we don't really have those kind of problems which has been really interesting so like i think after a certain point i want to say year one or two um, you know, we've never had problem raising money for something, which I think is a big thing for other people. Like, you know, we have a bunch of people like, hey, like, let me throw money into this. Let me throw money in this. Let me invest in this. And actually where we are right now, like at, at Pond City Market, at Umbrella Bar, like this is one that like everyone's just throwing ridiculous amounts of money at me. And I'm like, I have to make the right decisions. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think when you do a lot of the right things, a lot of the good opportunities come. But the challenge is really just, I think, finding the right people to help you throughout the process. So, you know, whether someone is a uh, has whatever amount of money or claims a certain thing. You so when you say finding the right people happen. to help you with yeah. the process, you're talking about franchisees or people to join your team to help you grow? Oh, uh, it's both. I mean, sometimes that's one and the same. And sometimes those are two completely separate, different people. But, um, you know, I mean, I think finding a second layer of leadership has been our biggest deterrent to growth. You know, what, so, what do you mean? Where's that second layer? Exist? Um, you know, so imagine like for most people that are a restaurant group of our size, they'll have like 10, 20 employees, like a person that does this person that does this. And, yeah. you know, like I tell everyone, like if we can find that person, you can take my job too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you take take all the money, like, you know, but it's so hard to find people that can grow with you. Good people that you can trust people that kind of like stick around. And, you know, I think that that's probably one of our biggest struggles and uh, yeah, what holds us back. I think that's where a lot of franchise franchises get in trouble is they 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 see people that are willing to throw money at them. They're like, yeah. "Sweet. Awesome. We're like we're checking boxes. We're 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 getting the money so we can grow." But just like any business, are they a good culture fit? Yeah. Do they share your same values? You know, and and they, I think when when you got something, when you have traction, like you get so fixed on growth and scale uh, that you sometimes overlook the other things because they have the money right like what do you do to prevent that from happening oh i guess i I mean right now it's been a lot of trial and error but it's always like my instinct has never been wrong on a vocation i think it's never been wrong on a person that that we hire but you know like you said like sometimes you have to make decisions based on the reality that you're in so like you may take somebody because 
you know, a certain project costs this much and you need this much money or whatever it is. But, you know, I, I think for me, I've been setting boundaries and what my level of responsibility is and my ownership and what I give to people. I think that that's something that I can control and I'm working on it more. So example is like, you know, people used to call me 24 hours a day. It doesn't matter where I am, what country I'm in, doesn't matter or time zone. And like, you know, what I've realized is there's no such thing as a sushi emergency. It doesn't matter what people claim or like a ramen emergency. It's like, you know, sometimes you just, it may feel like you're not doing the right thing to not answer right away, but you do have to set boundaries. That's, that's one part. And you really have to set, you know, what other people's boundaries and responsibilities are. And it's been helpful, but it's honestly been so much trial and error that like we, I don't think there's a right formula for it, but you have to go with your instinct and just make the best decision possible and just go from there. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think now's a great time to take a, a break think our sponsors, and we'll be right back to kind of talk about uh, your business model, what's unique about what you're trying to do, and uh, really what excites me about having you on the show, your uniqueness. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often, Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. And I mean, one of the things that really has me excited about you is that you don't, like I said, you don't really have, earlier I mentioned, you don't really have a history with restaurants before getting becoming a restaurant tour. Yeah. So you never picked up any of those bad habits. Um, like you mentioned earlier, you said so many people who get into this industry feel like the only way is to get into to be in there to grow managers and eventually replace themselves to go out and find financing. And like, it's the traditional way of like opening restaurants where I love your approach of keeping your overhead low and keeping your liabilities low and, and scaling your franchise through the food hall model and not just food malls, because since we last spoke, you're also exploring uh, like shipping containers. Yeah. Another, yeah. when did that come into the picture? Uh, actually, I mean, so during COVID, uh, you know, what we saw is, you know, we have inflation and we have just uh, like a lot of people struggling. So for us, we wanted to find a we want to do something different and we want to create a separate model that was dramatically cheaper to kind of get into the business. Even cheaper so, than getting in a food hall? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Really? So 
you know, I mean, what, 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 I think a lot of, there's a misconception about building food halls or being in a food hall. Because if you have to build it, the kitchen is the most expensive part of the restaurant. So, like, whether you're in a food hall, you're in a giant restaurant, you're in something yourself, you still have to build that kitchen most yeah. of the time. So, most of that cost is still there. And, you know, the tables and chairs and decor, you know, that doesn't really add to those big numbers, you know. So, yeah. um, we've been building things out of uh, into food trucks and shipping containers. And we've been doing that for ourselves. And our first one is Bakyu, uh, Korean fried chicken. And then we've been doing it for other people as well. So, so when did you start doing that? When was your first shipping container? That was actually, I want to say we, we only opened it, I think, this year, but we've been building it and going through the kind of hassle and figuring it out. So I want to say it took us uh, it took us two and a half months to build, which for people that build restaurants would know that is incredibly short. Yeah. You know, so you kind of get to skip a lot of the dealing with the landlord, contractors, architects, permitting, and it's kind of you're bundling everything in like an easier package. So when I first spoke to you, this wasn't on your radar. At least you didn't yeah, bring no. it up. Yeah, we had no idea that this yeah. was something that was coming. So, so you know? when did the light bulb go off? Uh, it was really during COVID. And okay. like there was like maybe a few weeks, at least here in Atlanta, where things were like dirt cheap and everyone was going out of business. So but before we, everything yeah, jumped again. Yeah, yeah, before we get into that, I want to kind of – I mean really cur- – I like your idea of, of using the the uh, food hall model because that's where we kind of left off, right? And then we can evolve into why that transformed into the shipping containers. Um, what do we need to know if we're? I mean, I, I love it because like like you mentioned earlier, like you don't have to go out and have all these brick and mortars and get all these millions of dollars to do all these crazy build outs. Uh, you can use pre existing structures and scale your concept throughout those structures that are already there. And I I know you're also in the game of building food halls too. Yeah, I guess we've been getting into the development part of the business. So it's kind of a combination of all the things. So let's say during COVID, you know, for for us as a company, we knew that we had to adapt, you know. So, um, you know, a lot of the people that were buying franchises at the time were looking, they're like, I don't want to spend that much money because it's scary right now, you know. And then even other businesses or competitors around us were also like, you know, I'm going to slow down everything because everything is scary right now. And like our answer is like, no, we're just going to find our own answer. We're not going to be scared and just sit there and do nothing and wait. We're going to find our own way. So, uh, you know, when we found when we started kind of talking about it and figuring it out, we saw, you know, like you don't have to deal with months of nonsense, a million different people. So right now, if somebody wants to buy a franchise, I can build the whole restaurant and ship them the restaurant and it literally gets there. I want to. So are you abandoning the idea of of committing to food halls? Is that? Oh, no, absolutely not. Okay. I I think it's just diversifying what we do because, you know, I mean, we have brick and mortars too. We have regular restaurants. We have combo stores. We have these food halls, but you know, for me, uh, patience is a big deal and it's creating the right situation you want to be in. So let's say if that doesn't exist, you have to make it yourself. There's just no other way. So like for us, uh, like where we are uh, for our first shipping container restaurant, you know, we couldn't find a space there. It was too expensive. It was too hard. Everything was like so competitive. So we went to the landlord and we we're like, what if I build a shipping container restaurant and I pay you rent and we just take up one parking spot, you yeah. know? So, I mean, for the landlord's point of view, they don't have to give us as much TI to help build the store. They don't have to deal with the problems of construction and messing up their, their whole complex for like, a while. Yeah, they don't have to give us TI. Oh, tenant allowance. Okay. So it's like the, the part that the landlord may contribute to building infrastructure of a restaurant. So let's say for here, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of things from the landlord's point of view that are, are kind of like a pain in the ass too. So like imagine you just have 
construction and it's ugly it's blocking things getting in the way or imagine you know people are asking for all this money and you don't know what it's going to go for to help and you know uh for us like when you have a shipping container i I know that whatever rent i pay is less than it's gonna make more money than that parking spot doing nothing and i know whatever cost that the landlord gives us is less than building a whole building and a restaurant and for construction we're not blocking their parking spots or their spaces or their other tenants we literally build a restaurant we ship it there and we connect to the utilities and then we're open yeah so you ship are you shipping it to the franchisee uh, so we can. So uh, so far, the only we've been building some for other people, and we have our own flagship one right now. And we're trying to get into it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, we can ship the whole restaurant, and we can ship the equipment, the smallwares, everything aside from the food, really. So I mean, what are the regulations in like hurdles you have to get over if you choose this path? Like, what what do people not consider? Yeah. So I mean, I think there is a you know, if you're a first time person, I would say you have to do you do have to compare it to opening a restaurant. So, I mean, it, there are a lot of the same things that you have to check off, but it's a lot easier and so a lot faster. And you can kind of do things in, in batches instead of just like you have to wait for this one thing, wait for this other thing, wait for this one thing. So imagine when you're building a restaurant, you may need to wait on a certain inspection and then you can't do the next thing. You can't do the next thing. But a lot of times with a food truck or shipping container, you kind of get to knock out a lot of those things at once, which is exciting. So yeah. you're not you're getting not held up by yeah, one person yeah. who's not doing their job. You contract out, say you got to wait for, I don't know, the plumbing to come in and do their thing before yeah. the this person can come in and do that yeah. thing. And then like one person who's not holding up their end of the deal slows up the whole process. Yeah. So, or you rip down a wall and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, who, who knew that? was going to be there like we can't and then the building inspector comes is it's a freaking nightmare this is like you're you're more streamlined and i want to say you have a lot of the same things to do but it's generally easier and there's a lot less to deal with but there's a build out that's way easier because you're literally just putting something into a shell right exactly shipping it and then once you figure out what that formula looks like it's just rinse and repeat you know where everything goes it's like a recipe like Mm -hmm. It, the the shell doesn't change exactly yeah so that's, like that's a really good point yeah so you're just like okay we figured it out we know what's best and you're constantly doing it maybe yep. every time you might figure out a little bit better yep. way to do it something small maybe different but you know like when you get a restaurant every dimension is a little bit different yeah it's a little bit different where the bathrooms are where the yeah. entrance but here is just uh the, the, yeah, just the, the rules in that town might yeah. be different that you yeah. have to learn the different coding and all that different stuff yeah. but um what are the things we're not considering like Okay, you you drop the shipping container, right? Like, we're running an extension cord? Like, what the hell is going on? Like, (laughs) where do you get power? uh, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways that you can do it. And there are the ones that are self-sufficient. And then there are ones that you, you still connect regular utilities to. So, I mean, it just depends on the kind of situation that you're in and what kind of space that you're in. So, I mean, obviously, if you plan to move it around a bunch, then you're going to need the self-sufficient thing. So, let's say we have these, like, giant propane tanks that um, do, like, our gas. So, it's like just like a barbecue grill, except... 10 times bigger, you know, 20 times bigger. And they just get strapped onto the back of the container. Yeah. Um, but let's say, you know, if you have the ability to plug in the utilities, like a regular restaurant, you do it, but yeah. you still don't have to really do as much of the infrastructure work. Of so it, which if, is nice. If you're uh, the landlord or wherever you're parking it, right. <clears throat> maybe you might be able to run gas. Is there, is that like a possibility where you can yeah, yeah, run so, gas from the source? So yeah. if you don't have to put those big tanks on, you know, but if you do need the tanks, that's an option. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so, sorry, go ahead. There are a bunch of different options. And, uh, you know, imagine if you're a landlord and, um, you know, you're asking for tenant allowance or something, you know, to contribute to building the store, which is, is like pretty normal in the industry. Um, you know, that cost is dramatically cheaper because let's say you don't have to worry about, hey, I need walls for the bathrooms. I need to set up, you know, the plumbing or like I got to set up, you know, the, I got a 10 ton AC or things like that, you know. So a lot of things become much cheaper and it's much easier to negotiate with the landlord because there's a lot of things that are like, well, I give them a little bit of money instead of a lot of money and they just figure out everything else. What's know? like standard rent that you're paying to have like this um, like spot? Like yeah. That? So, I mean, that's another reason that why we did it because a lot of restaurants are, I want, I want to say, depending on where you are in the city, I can probably ballpark what the rent is. I think our average is anywhere between 6500 and 10000 a month. And for, for a shipping a, container... For like a... Oh, no, that's for our restaurants. Oh, okay. Yeah, And the shipping container is like two or $3,000. You know? Yeah. So it's like, it's like, like mind-blowingly cheap. Now, a lot of people don't really know what to charge or what to price it for. And I think that is part of uh, the benefit of getting in now. So a lot of landlords are kind of like, no, that's kind of cool and weird. I don't know what to charge that guy for like a parking spot or a small spot. So like, I guess this sounds good, better than you know nothing. You know? And I haven't seen this in a lot of places, but I did see it in Phoenix when I was there last. I think it was like... Mm-hmm. 2019 okay. where they had like um it was like a it was like a shipping container food hall yeah yeah where they just have like a communal space in the middle and it, like on the edges like picture like a big like uh, i don't know like number zero like that's a like boxy you know where you have like like a, or like a i should just say like a rectangle or yeah a rectangle okay. picture like a rectangle and like on the edge of the rectangle you just have all these yeah, yeah. shipping containers and in the middle is just like a communal space um i mean are you looking at do you do you, do you uh, yeah, try I mean, to find places like that? Those are definitely, you know, if you can find a situation that exists already, that's great. You know, and we've seen them in, uh, we've seen those in Charleston. We've seen those in Detroit. We've seen those in Vegas. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people like see the benefit of kind of going smaller and more efficient. And, uh, you know, I mean, if we can't get into those spaces, that's great. Um, it's kind of like you might like taking over an existing restaurant is easier than building one from scratch. So like if you're getting into an existing shipping container, like park or situation it's going to be even cheaper, like a third of the price. You know? Yeah. And it's probably gonna be a little more streamlined because they already have yeah. systems for onboarding new containers. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And like, I mean, those are so competitive right now, I think because people know like how cool and different it is. So like to wait on some of those spaces is, or, um, you know, it is a long wait list to get in those. So like back, like in the early two thousands when like, food trucks were taking off it was kind of like the wild wild west because yeah. it was a new thing and there were no regulations around it and if you were getting involved then it was like it was easy you kind of just went right and like what's what's the city going to do what's the town going to do is it kind of like that right now with with shipping containers where there aren't I a lot of so. regulations around it so um so the rules kind of fall in between a physical location and a food truck okay so it's kind of cool and depending on the city you can kind of play around with it in some ways it applies as one or the other or both you know, so whatever whatever option is easier and cheaper, that's the one we usually choose for that direction. But um, yeah, so like let's say, you know, there's certain rules that apply to a food truck, certain rules that apply to a restaurant, and you kind of pick and choose a little bit because the the city or the people that are permitting don't really know, and they're kind of like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So are you looking for brick and mortar locations or is that kind of off your radar right now? Is that like not uh, your niche? No, I mean, we're, we're always looking for all kinds of different situations. So, um, I mean, the majority of the new ones that I think are coming are just regular storefronts. And uh, it's really being able to have the right thing for the right person in the right situation and time and not be able to limit yourself to the options that everyone else just tells you that you have. Got it. So what is 
like what are the actual like economics? We got into some of it, like yeah. you were saying, like two to three thousand dollars for rent. But um, what's the actual shell cost? Of like a- um, yeah, so I mean, it just depends, uh, I guess, how and where you build them. And then uh, for anyone listening, we can help you build them if you need to. But um, I would say depending on where you are, what, you, what kind of restaurant you are, you know, of course, it makes a big difference. I've been seeing people build bars in them. And that's so dirt cheap because you Wait, don't so have people a, sit inside the actual yeah yeah I, I've seen them and it's kind of you don't cool. really need a yeah. huge footprint for a bar yeah you know? exactly yeah. you know imagine there's a bar with a few sinks and some chairs and uh, like your bar yeah, yeah that's it it's yeah, just yeah. A street. So, that's pretty cool. like if you're building a bar they can be extremely cheap they could be like thirty thousand to fifty thousand to have a bar set up you know you just have to kind of get the plumbing stuff and utilities but you're not cooking stuff you don't need a hood you don't need a grease yep. trap you know but um i want to say like an average price for a container is like a hundred two hundred thousand really yeah so I was, i'm actually surprised at that yeah i mean it just kind of depends on what you're looking for but you but know, is that a container that's designed for is it like a specific container that they use for uh restaurants or is that just a basic like yeah, no, i'm just, going to the regular shipping container yeah, yeah. i mean really two hundred thousand yeah. dollars for a shipping container yeah i mean that's on the high end you okay. know but let's say you can get them, you can get them cheaper. Uh, but like, so less expensive than a million dollars, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say for a restaurant equivalent of that, it's probably going to be two, three, four hundred. So like, if you were to compare like a hundred, two hundred to two to four hundred, that's a that's a great deal. But like, you know, it's still not like free or anything. But it's, it's a pretty good it's, good price to get in business. Yeah. yeah. Um. So if, if like a common concept, <clears throat> let's say like a pizza concept, right? Mm-hmm. Where you don't need a lot of like range of grill space really just in a place for a cold you know maybe a mixer and cold yeah. ingredients you're, you're you're holding refrigerator space and like a, an oven right mm-hmm. what would you say somebody should budget for something like that uh i would always kind of budget the same amount of money and just kind of be, be prepared like i don't know this is a weird thing that always happens to us like it doesn't matter what somebody's budget is uh for every single restaurant we've ever built uh, it's all like the end result is always like a dollar less than exactly what they want, you know, yeah. at the top of their budget or like right around there or a dollar more or something, you know? So, I mean, always budget more and like yeah. plan for, you know, whatever could happen, but there, there are obviously much cheaper ways to, to do certain things. But, you know, I, I guess for us, we, uh, I always want to be safe and sorry and give people a little bit higher estimate and, you know, kind of plan for safety. So on average, how, like what costs are you shipping these things out at? <clears throat> uh, so I mean, the shipping part is, is not that expensive. Well, not just the shipping itself, yeah. but when the, when the, when the package is put together, mm-hmm. where the restaurant just needs to be turned on, yeah, and, and or shipped out and then turned on to get to that point where it's ready to be shipped, mm-hmm. and all it needs to be is hooked up and and like opened, mm-hmm. how much to get to that point um, traditionally or on average? I want to say we we generally average closer to the hundred number, but you can get to the two hundred number too. You know? Really? So, so when you say shipping, so, but I thought the shell itself was like two hundred thousand. Uh, no, no, that's the whole thing. Yeah, no, oh, that's the whole that's thing. That's why yeah, I was yeah, surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual so, container is a few thousand dollars. Okay, that's, where you got I was it like, from. that's yeah, why yeah. I was like, that's why I seem super surprised. So, <laughs> yeah. so you can start like the the shell itself is only a few thousand dollars. Yeah, just depending that on that seems more realistic. Yeah. Okay, so, so so that's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two to three hundred thousand dollars. That's that's pretty amazing. No, I mean, I want to say you can. Uh, it's kind of like building a tiny house uh, or building, you know, like like something like that, except as a restaurant. Yeah. Are you guys putting air conditioning in these things? Yeah, too? yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Because it does get hot. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. What if what what question have I not asked you yet uh, that I should have asked you? I guess um, I don't know. I, I guess what, what what the to me the main advantage. What's the main advantage of it? You know, and I think it's it's not just the upfront cost because you know a lot of people that when they're starting their purchases it, it costs what it costs. You know, but I think if you're trying to find something that is very easily scalable and will solve a lot of problems in the future. 
Um, it's a good kind of like hybrid of regular restaurant and you can kind of apply to a lot of things. So if you ever want to start a business to become a franchise, imagine you, you can just ship people their, their, their restaurant instead of the million problems that you have to deal with. You know? So, I mean, I feel like the, the scalability parts of it seem pretty obvious, but like really list out what makes it so scalable. Um, I think it's compact. It's easily transportable. It takes a lot of the expertise away from that franchisee or that random person, you know? So, um, you know, even, uh, you know, every franchise, including us, we help somebody build their store. Yeah. But a lot of times this person has no idea what they're doing. And then we're not physically there all the time to kind of help. So it's, yeah. it's a lot of this like catching up, like, oh, what do I do here? Oh, this is an update. You got to update each other. But here it's just like, I just get it done and I ship it to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the other variable too is like staffing. Like you don't, I mean, how many people can even fit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you got so it's three it's or four people to like one to re- three people fit yeah. relatively comfortably yeah. and just not two big people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so th- I think the other thing too, uh, as far as scalability is just the, the, the build out, like, like we mentioned earlier, it's like you, you figure out what the recipe is, what the what that formula is to build whatever that like that concept. Once you figure it out, maybe as you go, you make little tweaks. But it's like basically like, I mean, it's like prefab. You know, yeah. like you just know exactly where everything goes and how. I mean, once you really start like cruising, like is two months the shortest time it takes to build out one. Uh, I mean, I think it could be faster. So let's say, I mean, if I'm copying and pasting it, like, you know, making the same thing again, it could be a little bit faster, but that just doesn't be approximately the time. I don't you know? imagine you'd be able to buy in bulk all the things like this. If you're making, if you have a franchise, a concept, yeah, you could in theory, and you're planning on building out 10 in the next, I don't know, quarter, right? You can bolt buy per, like, in bulk yeah, all exactly. the equipment yeah. what you need and probably get lower prices too so i mean i think if you're like a big company it's, it's easy and I, like for me i think it's it's not only a competitor to food truck or standalone restaurant you know i'm, I'm sure you've seen everywhere they have these virtual kitchens you know and, and for me like you know I, I think that works for a lot of people but I, I think the thing that is missing is that human interaction you know it's missing that that storefront so imagine you instead of a virtual kitchen you have all those same benefits but you still can kind of have a storefront you can still interact with customers you can still build that vibe you know? I mean, that's a honestly a vertical I didn't even consider. Like, if you're just trying to build a, a commissary kitchen and you're trying to like grow a virtual brain and you're trying to, you know, limit the amount of time between, you know, source of where the the meals being made and where it's being delivered to, and you're trying to like just grow that virtual brand, right? Like, yeah. you can do it with food, like these, these like. These, you don't even need to be have a good location. You just yeah, yeah. Have a spot from that point it. of view, absolutely. Because yeah. uh, you know, a lot of these like cloud kitchens or virtual kitchens, they end up being really expensive. You know, yeah. one way or the other. And Going into the a commissary shared space, yeah. you got to trip over other people on what they're trying to do. It's not like there's logistics of sharing space mm-hmm. that could be a pain in the ass. I, I think that's a relatively new model as well. So like for, for me, like a lot of the small businesses I know that go in there haven't been that great, but like a lot of the big giant companies, like those are the people that kind of kill it in the, in those kind of situations right now. Yeah. But they're expensive, you know, but they're kind of already proven successful. So we looked at one here in Atlanta and like, um, that I think they had Chick-fil-A. Uh, don't quote me, but I think they had Chick-fil-A in there. But like, you know, they have overflow customers. They're not new business starting out. Um, so they can afford that rent and still feel like they're saving a bunch of money compared to the build out and other stuff. But, you know, if you're still a new company, a small company and you're not proven, you're lacking that, you know, that feedback of seeing that customer. You're lacking the people that are just walking by and, you know, they don't know what you are or like, you know, all that kind of like personableness, all that kind of like, you know, human touch in those situations. And a container is 
you know, cheaper, um, more affordable, and you can still have that, you know, and I, I like that part, you know, that's one of the fun parts of the business for me, like, believe it or not, like, talking to the customers and the people and the rewarding part, you know. We're going to create a shipping container food hall outside, I don't even know what the hell to call it, the shipping container park in Exeter, New Hampshire, I'm going to call you to consult so on it. You should build a, a mobile podcast truck or something <laughs> or a shipping container, just go everywhere. It, you know I mean, mean, hey, if the budget, when the budget's there, I'm, I'm, okay. I've already looked at not it couldn't happen this year, but I would love to do that. I, yeah, I had I to settle like for a, so a Honda cool. CRV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's on it's on the horizon though. So one more quick break to thank our sponsors, and then I want to talk to you about the future uh, in how you plan on kind of evolving your I don't know your yeah, your operation everything yeah, you're doing. Absolutely. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. As host of Restaurant Unstoppable, I chat with a lot of restaurateurs. One thing a lot of them have in common, they use Seven Shifts. In fact, every restaurateur using Seven Shifts that I've come across has great things to say about them. With over 700,000 restaurant pros and counting using it today, they're clearly onto something. So what are you waiting for? Seven Shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, hit labor costs, and keep your entire team connected with drag and drop scheduling, in-app communication, task management, labor compliance, tip management, and more. It makes restaurant work a lot easier. And I bet Every member of your team will get value from it. Whether you're a franchise owner or a chief technology officer, a manager working front of house or back of house, plus it integrates with other restaurant tech systems you already use like your POS, payroll, and more. That is powerful. As a restaurant unstoppable listener, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months free and join over 30,000 restaurants using seven shifts today. We're back. And um, we've talked about kind of where you were when we last le- left and like how you've pivoted and, and adopted uh, the whole shipping container concept and these pods or whatever you want to call them. Um, where are you today? What's going on today? What yeah. else have we discussed? Uh, so, I mean, so in addition to like kind of adapting through like these different things like the shipping containers, we've been building on new concepts and combo stores too. So uh, we, we have these new concepts that we didn't have like the last time we talked like yeah. Umbrella Bar, like Baku Fried Chicken. I, I'm not sure if we had Maybe we had Atlanta Teriyaki too. But, you know, we've been trying to put more things together. And then it also works with the, the shipping container situation. So imagine like Lego pieces. You can put two next to each other or on top of each other or whatever. But today we are at uh, Pond City Market, yeah. uh, also on the Beltline in Atlanta. And we're at Umbrella Bar, which is our newest, coolest concept, I want to say, in a way. Yeah. So I think everyone's going to kind of get to see like the vibe here in, in the video. But this is our first kind of like Korean street market kind of thing. So the vibe is supposed to feel like a street market. And uh, the kind of new thing that we're experimenting here is, uh, you know, we have like Korean corn dogs. We have a lot of these kind of like hits, like like Korean cool stuff. But what we're hoping kind of and what has been taking off is 
the Korean slushies that we have here, which is uh, what you were which trying, I just, yeah. which I just so, made disappear. Yeah, imagine like delicious. kind of like um, you go to like Fat Tuesdays, you go to those like kind of like slushy bars. You, you know. can't see it, but you can hear it. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is the first kind of like Asian-inspired version of that, you know. And uh, you know, everyone loves slushies, everyone loves booze. So we're like, and uh, you know, Asian stuff is trending, especially Korean stuff has been trending recently. Yeah. So we're like combining all those things, and uh, it's been like a hit so far. You nice. know. So when did you guys launch this concept? Uh, we opened this earlier this year. I want to say around May. So we've only been open here about two, three months. But oh, wow. like the response has been like super cool, and like the press has been really loving it. And we're shooting some stuff coming up with some big stations, which is exciting. So what's different about this concept, Umbrella Bar, that's unique from everything else you've done? Yeah, I mean that? this is our first bar. Yeah. So that's been kind of kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, you know I can uh, I can take a few drinks without anybody looking at me weird during the workday. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like otherwise uh, people are kind of like, what are you doing? So, why are you so red right now? Uh, but I mean, it, this is our first kind of bar, and this and it, it's a big deal because I think if you know we, we've kind of figured out the ins and outs of restaurant, you know what I mean. And adding bar to it is uh, you know obviously good profit margins, cool promotions, a lot of like cool new weird stuff that we can do, you know. And like whatever opens more doors um, is, is something we're always looking for, and this is open doors to all kinds of new weird stuff. So what what is it specifically about the umbrella bar? that you think is making it open doors for you um so i mean one is like the fact that we're experimenting with a new concept for alcohol yeah um two is like this is our first restaurant and bar and this is our first also kind of divided space so we're building kitchen and we're building bar and we're building things a little bit differently than than we're used to so you guys can kind of look around it's like the kitchen and the bar are kind of split when we're one place and it's a little bit confusing but that's kind of like it's a it's like a street market where you're kind of going down the street and there's things just everywhere and it's overwhelming so um, and this is also, I won't say our coolest looking place, it which is, cool, uh, dude, I dig yeah, it a lot, you know? So, yeah. I mean, we're, we're trying to go a little bit more into like the design, the coolness. And, you know, I think because we've earned a certain level of success, we can like spend money on those things yeah. that we never used to, you know? So like, I don't know if, uh, for the listeners that haven't heard the first episode, we opened with on like a kitchen counter with like a sushi fridge and a house refrigerator. Well, those one know? of the things I loved about your story is that you, you started with a concept, uh, uh, Pokeberry, who, which it's raw food. It, you, so you really don't need a lot of overhead equipment for the kitchen. You just need refrigeration, yeah. uh, some really sharp knives, and I think you yeah. have some induction uh-huh. burners, right? Yeah, and that's literally all yeah. we have, and that, that so became the most uh, What was the budget for that? I think we spent ten twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to open that restaurant. Awesome. And you were in a food hall. Yeah, and to be in a food hall and yeah. to be the most award-winning restaurant in our history there. So you know. think outside the box. Like, don't I think people get so in their head like i'm not gonna be taken seriously or this is the only path to take to open a restaurant like start where you can you know um what about pop-ups in food halls is that something that uh i mean we've we've done some pop-ups before and i mean i love them as a way to experiment and then we do pop-ups in our restaurants for our new concepts which is kind of cool and it brings new and exciting things so our place in houston is uh it's pokey and ramen, but we're popping up Umbrella Bar there soon. We're popping up Bakuyu there soon. So it kind of keeps things fresh and different for the customers. And kind of cool story. This is actually, we're in Pond City Market now. Uh, people don't know. That's a great tourist location, one of the best in the city. This is where we actually looked for our first location. Oh, really? And uh, the landlords and these big fancy people were like, I don't know who the fuck you are. <laughs> and like, <laughs> nope. And then now, uh, six years, 20, 30 restaurants later, we anchor the expansion of this food hall. That's awesome, awesome, man. Congratulations, yeah, so. dude. 
yeah and no one remembers when i go make fun of it like i tell the landlord i'm like yeah you remember me from back there like no we don't but like that, that's what happened yeah <laughs> yeah that's awesome so for somebody who thinks outside the box right for somebody who doesn't take the status quo i mean that's one of the things we try to do here at restaurant unstoppables really challenge the status quo and just see things from different perspectives what what excites you about the future you know like where do you see oh, the yeah. industry going and what are you t- trying to do to, to be ahead I'm, of it I, I guess for me i it's not whether i'm i'm ahead of other people but it's it's to me where where i can grow based on what i have you know so for me i know something is a good business if it takes advantage of the things i already know the resources i already have and the relationships i have so what takes advantage you know, of what so, you already know uh, so we've been growing, like I said, we've been growing the restaurants, we've been growing concepts, we've been franchising, but really like develop the development side of our business has been kind of like what's been like a light bulb, like in my head or like this exciting new frontier to conquer. And I think most people don't even know that world exists, you know? So let's say if I, you know, not only can I do the things for myself, I've realized that me doing it for other people is fulfilling, and it's kind of that, like, I'm, I'm not a king, I'm a conqueror thing. So if I help franchise somebody else and I help them grow around the country, I'm like, oh, my God, look at what I did. But I don't have the responsibility yeah. like, later on. You and that's know? really or, what the most successful restaurateurs do is they, they figure out the formula. They figure out what success looks like. And then they create and help other people become successful th- through partnerships. Yeah. Like, they, you know, they have their GM come up through them. They have their sous chef who becomes an executive chef who wants to open their own place someday. They know they got what it takes because they see it in them. And they say, let's make it happen for you. But you can do that through this vertical and help people because yeah. this is such a this is the wild, wild west. You yeah. know, like this is such a strange vertical and not a lot of people know a lot about this, but you're first to market. So you're learning first and yeah. you can take that knowledge and you can help other people. You keep on opening your mouth. I keep, yeah. but I, no, I, mean, I stop. So I, mean, I, th- <laughs> I think, you know, there are a lot of people that have certain parts of the experience, but I think we have more parts of the experience than most people do or almost anyone, you know? And I think something that makes our development and consulting part of our business different is we have made hits more than once. So, you know, at least for me, I'm like, I think I know what I'm doing, you know what I yeah. mean? Where even some of the most successful people in the world, they do one thing and that's what they're known for forever. And if they try to do something else, they can't do it. You know what I mean? So like, look at like Facebook and like meta, you know, I'm like, I don't know how well meta is doing with this example, but like some people make one thing and that that's it. And they think that they have the knowledge, the experience to show and teach other people. But you know, there's always luck involved. There's always the right time, right place. But for us, you know, we've been building this pattern and we keep making hits. So I'm kind of like, you know, I think we can keep doing it again. And that's, that's what we've been doing. So you sound skeptical with meta. Uh, well, actually I don't know too much about it, so I don't want to throw them under the bus or anything, but you know, I, I, I think don't a lot think of Facebook people, is going to care if you throw yeah, them. Yeah. I, I guess they, they don't <laughs> mind, but you know, a lot of people, they make one thing and other, the other things are experiments, you know? Yeah. And, and I guess, uh, you don't see a lot of people that are known for like 10 different world changing things or like, like huge accomplishments. And, you know, and, and some people like whether you're a musician, actor, you know, whatever it is, it's not easy to recreate success. And I think a lot of people that are in this consulting business or are in this like, you know, development business, maybe they've been successful with one thing and they're like, well, now I, this applies to everything and, and, and it'll make you successful. But I think for us, we keep doing weird different stuff and we, we found a way to kind of universally figure out our formula of being successful. So like, I know that we can kind of keep doing it again, you know? So kind of like when we first started, we went viral every month. And, you know, I think for a lot of people going viral is 
by accident, by luck, or you know, some you know, whatever thing is happening. But we literally scheduled. We're gonna hit like a, go, hit, make a viral thing once a month, and we did it. You know, so, so you're kind of a pro at going viral. What are the secrets to going viral? Uh, a lot of relationships. You know, so um, this is you what know. you mentioned last time, and this yeah. is something honestly I think I could be better at. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that restaurant stoppable should be bigger than what it is. Yeah. If you were me, mm-hmm. and you had arguably, I'm gonna say top ranked. Okay. Restaurant business podcast. Some people say number one. Yeah, I feel I weird would, saying I, that. I will say you're number one. Thank you. It's not coming from my mouth. Plaque and a t-shirt. I, I feel counts, so gross you know? and yeah. egotistical yeah. saying that, but but I feel like I should. More people should be listening to. This. There's more than four thousand to five thousand people in the restaurant industry, right? But that's about what we get per episode. But that's still a really high downloaded restaurant business podcast because yeah, yeah, it's very niche, right? But I think every fucking restaurant owner in the world should be yeah. listening to this show. Maybe I'm a little biased. Yeah. Why? What do I need to do? So, right? I mean, if you're me. Honestly, I, mean, I, I do think you're doing things really well. And Thank I'm not you. just saying that. So, like, one weird thing. So, I went to go talk to the manager when we were on break. And he's like, yeah, I've, I've listened to the podcast before. And I was like, really? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. You know, not, not to anything about you. But, you know, like, he's like, yeah, there were, like, five podcasts to pick. And this was the best one. You know? Nice. So, like, I, I think there are probably a lot of people that are listening that you may not even realize that like, you walk around this building and people may have heard of you, which is super cool. But... I mean, I, I think there's consistency to it, and I think you know that part, but sometimes you have to do cool, weird, random things. The you consistency know, so, yeah. is a thing that I mastered. Yeah, I, will I think keep, you're really I good show at that up. Part. Yeah. I will show up. But this idea mm-hmm. of relationships, when you say that you're, when it yeah. comes going viral, is it like, is it a matter of like, what, when you launch a restaurant, right? When you're thinking like, oh, it's about the relationships, what, what do you exactly mean by that? Uh, yeah, so I mean, let's say for us, um, whether you're a, if, if we open a restaurant in your city, we probably know the bloggers. We probably know the Instagrammers, the YouTubers, the TikTokers. And, you know, you have to reinforce these relationships. At least that, that's what we've done. So, you know, like there are uh, people that, you know, they may be really big or well known and you have to find a way to offer something to them that uh, other people may not. So the first time we went viral in, in Atlanta, um, we we hit the biggest um Instagrammer in the city, Atlanta bucket list, Alyssa. Uh, and she's like the coolest person ever. And I like, did reach out to Alyssa. We weren't oh, able to make it happen. By okay. the way, okay. Oh, well, hopefully we next we time. Tried. Like, she's yeah, like yeah. she's like so cool. Yeah. But uh, she's also the reason that we have uh sushi donuts, which is so so weird. Like she's the one that gave us that idea. But um, so is it just creating something that just makes people like turn their head juxtaposition like I think that no one else is doing I think it's targeting like influential people that you also vibe with you know so like for for Atlanta Bucket List and Alyssa we're the like uh, she, you know she gets a million messages every day from restaurants like come to my restaurant or whatever and we're like we're gonna name something after you and she's like what like what do you mean you're the first people person to ever do that you know what I mean so that was like just a weird different way of doing that you know so does it ever get weird with like you know cause I mean I'm not like a, I wouldn't I mean, I've taken a lot of personality tests and it says that I'm an influencer, but I fucking hate that I score. I am like, oh, oh, like I don't want to be an influencer. But um, I, what I feel, and this happens to me with somebody who has a, a platform that very specific people want to be on because my target audience is so specific. Mm. I am like the opposite. Okay. Like I don't like exploit my audience. I'm like, fuck you. Get away from my audience. I've worked so hard to cultivate this trust with my audience that I know that one bad mistake, me looking out for myself to, to leverage my audience to, so I can benefit is the one thing that will just break this trust. I mean, I, I think there's a synergy that there's like a, you know, the, that I don't want to call it a gray area because that sounds bad, but there, there's a balance of everything, you know? So, I mean, 
when I'm when uh, I apply this to dating, so I don't know if this exactly applies here, but it kind of <laughs> should relate. But like, I think everyone is either you're a hunter or you're a gatherer. Yeah, you know, so like you figure out which one you are, and then you you like focus on the that model or the strength there. So like, like I'm a hunter. Like I go I go out there and hunt, and that just means whatever you know. If there's something I want to be on, something I want to do, I'm just gonna set my mind to it, and I'm gonna go figure out how to do it. And sometimes it's right or wrong, but you know we've been like featured uh by kim card we've been reposted by kim kardashian's best friend and we had a hundred million instagrams in 72 hours or something before but like for me to get there i had to get to 10 other bloggers before he noticed us yeah. you know and be reposted here here here, here and so there, you know? i feel like where i was the thought that i was trying to t- like get to is when people reach out to me mm-hmm. and they're like oh like i'm like i know what you're doing like yeah, i mean don't pretend to be my friend you no, know what i mean like it's about finding i can see through it you know so like what am I, am I? Is it because I'm just being too defensive? Do you think that's my um, problem? Like I'm putting up too no, much I mean, of a game. I, I do think you you're looking out for the listeners in yeah. a way that like you know I I think the listeners want to have like they don't mind being pitched something that makes sense to them because they're here for a reason too. Yeah. You know, but like no one wants to be sold or no one wants to be tricked. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I think it's just finding different ways to be, yeah. add value to the viewers. But uh, is there something to be said about the long game? Um. So I don't know exactly what the long-term plan is. Like, you know, I, we've talked and we've had some like, different yeah. ideas of it. But, you know, I, I think there's progression that makes sense for every person. There is, like, finding their own path to it. But let's say for you, I know that you're always kind of, like, on the grind. You're always traveling. You're doing so many things. But, like, you know, I don't know how often you actually get to sit down and write down your goals and how to get there and all that kind of stuff. But it's I do that little, every day. It's hard day. right yeah. now, Seven. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, yeah. And that's something that – so I've been going hard the past couple of weeks and months. Um, but I'm hoping that that happens when I get home. Is like the plan is like I need to sit down, actually have time scheduled with Kathleen Wood. Her episode hasn't gone live Maybe by the time our listeners are listening to this, it will have gone live. Um, but that's what she specializes in, like helping restaurateurs specifically find their core focus, their one thing. What is the what is your what is your one thing, and how do you build a strategy around your one thing? So I'm, I'm going to be going through that process, and I hope that by the new year, I have it really distilled, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it to the next okay. place. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I, my mentor always told me uh, goals are just dreams with deadlines. So that means writing it down. And then, like, what's you? There's like these twenty goals, and then you just start writing down what is the steps I take to get to each one, and then it start becomes the super mind. easy and yeah. super doable, yeah. you know. So, you know, like outside of here, I'm a world champion. I'm a former temporary mayor of a city. What, like, is, what are you a world champion in? Uh, wait, do you not know that? Wait, I think I do know that, but yeah, I can't remember. I'm, I'm a former. I'm the minivan crushing champion of the world, or at least I used to be. So I drive like an army tank and I crush things, you know? <laughs> so that was like, like my best friend saw a fall I boy video where they like rent a tank or something. And like, I'm like, I would, I just want to be world champion of something, you know? And, and I've been Guinness numbers. Bro the world records? Uh, no, because so Guinness world records, they charge you a lot of money to come out oh. to some of these things. I mean, it depends uh, on the situation. Sounds like so, a lot of awards in our uh, industry. Mm, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, some of it is real and some of it is, is the yeah. game of it, you know, but like, I want to be world champion of something and like i've never driven an army tank i'm not actually the best at it but i took a step forward every day and to get to that title and i did which is super cool you know yeah <laughs> i think i might have heard that yeah. and i've inspired so many other random people to crush other cars. like tank championships <laughs> which is so weird and people tell me that but maybe like, yeah. i might have been i might be the champion for interviewing the most restaurant owners you might be yeah you have so many episodes you in know? person like, definitely yeah. yeah i mean uh 
Sometimes you just need somebody to give you an award for it. So, yeah. you know, yeah. So KSP Restaurant Group, all the awards from you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So. Beautiful. Um, I am curious about one more thing because I know that you have an interest in this before we say goodbye. Yeah. Um, where are you in looking into the world of robotics? Putting um, robots in yeah, shipping containers. I mean, containers. if I could, I would replace everybody with robots. <laughs> I mean, there. I, I think there's always a need for that that human part of it, you know. And uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of the business that is the customer service, and you know, it, it practically translates into your Yelp reviews, your Google, your social media. But I mean, robots wise, like there's a lot of things that I feel like they can do and we're only going to get better at it, you know? So I think we're, we're like getting there and I know a lot of people that, that have, have certain ones, uh, but you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think nothing replaces the human part, but there's a lot of things that I wish I did not have to rely on humans for. So. Yeah. I know that, um, you, I connected with Troy Hooper. Did yeah. you ever talk to him about robotics? Yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we had like a conversation, but kind of like, we, you know, I was coming to the mastermind groups and those things like just I've got on the road and then everything got crazy. And uh, like, you know, I think I've been in my house two weeks since since then, which is crazy. I mean, know? I think a lot yeah. of your maybe with the exception, Pokeberry is really like a, you, that's a that's a delicate process. Rolling sushi. I think. That takes like a, a person. Yeah, so they're actually robots that can do the sushi rice now. But you guys do so but, much uh, creativity with it. I mean, yeah, there's um, elements that you can automate, so but I think the price point of it is, is a big deal. So let's say there's robots that can roll the rice for sushi, and they're going to do better than a person. But they're going to make sushi um, donuts. They're not going to do that part. Yeah, but like for your regular sushi rolls or burritos, like but those are insane expensive right now. Yeah. So like, you only going to get more affordable. Yeah, exactly. So. Would I rather pay that and and have than a person that's unreliable? Probably, yeah, yeah. But like you know, right now it's not like you're buying like a toaster. You know, you're buying yeah. like this, this like big fancy thing. But like, but you get your your fried chicken concept. Yeah. You know, Korean chicken. Like that's one thing that would fly with yeah. like because you got Flippy or I think yeah, yeah. isn't it's not Flippy. It's I think it's Dunky or something Chippy or whatever. There's a Flippy. It's the yeah. same. There's a Flippy. It's all the same robot. Yeah. Just the the people who buy them just call them different things, yeah. but. Um, so I think for the shipping containers, I think that's going to be an easier progression into these robots because yeah. um, it's already lending itself to the scalability. So the robot would just be the next part of it. But uh, I mean, I, I love it. I wouldn't even mind if there was like a robot and like I can talk through the robot or like hang out with the people. But like, I don't know. I mean, so much of what we do is is people, you know, and, but it's not the robot side, you know, yeah. so like the robot side can replace a lot of it. But I think we'll always need at least one person, two person yeah. kind of thing you know, yeah. like at a place. Uh, I can get behind that. Um, the one thing we haven't discussed yet, I know before the pandemic, you and I would stay in contact. You're reaching out to me because you're trying to uh, create opportunity with your franchise vision. Uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like if I remember correctly, your vision was you wanted to get really behind the the expansion of food halls across the country. Yeah. Uh, you wanted to be a part of that, that expansion and you wanted to have a series of franchises in your network that you can help scale into those food halls. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's the KSP consulting part of our business. Is, that, is that still are, going strong? Yeah, is that yeah. Still strong? I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, um, so, I mean, another part of just, it's a big part of what we want to move into and it's helping other people become franchises, build food halls, build whatever they want. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's a big, scary process depending on what you want to do. And, uh, you know, I, I think everyone does need help in it or should want help in it because no one is like, I, I want to do this by myself and do everything. But, um, you know, I mean, that's a big part of what we want to grow into. And I think everything kind of synergizes together. So, you know, if you're listening and you have a great brand or a great concept, you want to become a franchise, but you don't know how to do it. Like, come talk to us. You want to build a shipping container, but you don't know how to do it. Come talk to us. You want to build a food hall, you know, come talk to us. And, you know, like there are certain locations or places in the country that, 
real estate is really competitive, really expensive, and it's almost impossible to do. And like, you know, I tell this story all the time, but like we've built an entire food hall for millions of dollars before just to put a tiny pokey burry in there and yeah. take up a fraction of the space because we can't afford the whole thing, you know? <laughs> so like, you know, there, there's a lot of creative different ways that like, you know, if you're from mind and set to something, you can get it done. You just may have to find a different way to do it. And, uh, you know, at the least come talk to us and we may pitch you something crazy, maybe something very normal, but like, we'll find a way to get it done, you know? Yeah. Um, so during the pandemic, did you get a, uh, did, did, did food, did food hall scare you a little bit? Uh, no, I mean, I, th- I think like I actually lean more toward the food halls during the pandemic. Why is that? Uh, you know, I mean, I think you, you all the same things that are the benefits like are exemplified like during that time where things are a little bit more risky, you know, so like. You know, having a food, being in a food hall, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of banding together in a way and you're getting all those like synergistic like benefits. You get the community. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, for us, like people like really banded behind us in our original location at the least. And like, like we're like, I'm just going to like buy something and you don't have to send the food. We just want to support you during this time. Or yeah. like people would just like do weird stuff to help us. And, you know, I, I think it's being a part like that, like being in these food halls, I, I, f- I do feel like you get to be a part of the community in a way that's a little bit different i think i think people could probably make that opposite argument but for us we're we're a part of something that's a part of something you know instead of being our own thing in in something you know yeah yeah is there anything we have not discussed up to this point that um, you were hoping to discuss i guess um i think we covered a lot honestly yeah. you know I, I think we did good i mean i i guess the only things that, that i would want to say is like you know, I, I don't know. Like whenever I listen to podcasts, I never reach out. I never call. I never like email. But like, you know, I, I do want people to like come talk to us. You know what I mean? So whether it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be like you give me money and we do consulting. But like I love having people to talk to about these things. That's one of the things I love about being on this podcast is like we're just talking, you know. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are on an island and they don't get people to talk to about the things in their business or they have like one guy they no, know or something, totally you know dude. like I it's, mean, a, it's a big deal what you're saying right now is exactly why i started restaurant unstoppable yeah. network so we can and you've been a part of those conversations where you come and hang out and really the um i mean the vision behind that is just doing exactly that encouraging restaurant owners across the country to come talk with each other because it is lonely at the top mm-hmm. sometimes you if you're new to the industry you don't have that network yet of people who you can go to and ask advice and uh I mean, that's what we're doing. We're also connecting our listeners with our guests and our guests with each other to create community around this idea of, of paying it forward and, and moving forward. But you're also there, too. And um, I would love to have you come back and hang out in the network after this episode yeah, goes live. You got to come back to Vegas and yeah, uh, we'll, we'll do one there, you know. And I will say, if you don't mind me being completely transparent, mm-hmm. that uh, if, if you are interested in franchising, if you do like this idea of using the business model of food halls to, to be a vehicle to move your franchise across the country – and you work with seven to make that happen, he's going to pay me a commission because it's yeah. all about sharing the love. So uh, if you want to support this podcast, uh, please reach out to seven and that might be a great way to yeah, just, uh, just buy like a hundred franchises right now. You know, just buy like a hundred containers. Yeah, and then, man. Yeah, we'll, we'll all go sell <laughs> If anybody yeah. does that, I will, <laughs> I will, uh, I don't know, I'll come cook you dinner and give you a big hug or whatever. No, no, I, mean, I think but, it's, it's, you want to make win, win, win situations for everybody. I love that. I, I say mean, that all yeah. the time, dude. Uh, great stuff. Uh, so how can we connect with you if we've been inspired by you? Yeah. We have questions so, for you. Maybe I mean, we our, with you. Our, our main, uh, we, have, we have a bunch of different websites and social media. So I want to say, you know, if you want to just check out our restaurants, go to each individual one. So like pokeyburry.com, lifnews.com, umbrellabaratl.com, bakuyfriedchicken, uh, bakuyatl.com. 
uh, or follow us on social media. If you want to find me directly, you go to ksprestaurantgroup.com. And I don't know if the, all the sites are updated, but, but more or less all the information is correct. And, uh, you know, like send me a message. Like I'm not like just saying that. Like I will answer people. I will help people. You know, like, I can we'll, attest we'll that uh, yeah. Seven is pretty responsive. And um, just be- actually before we say goodbye. Who do you respect and admire right now? Mm-hmm. Who, if you found out was a guest on my podcast, you'd be like, ooh, I want to know what this person's doing. I want to know what uh, they're saying. I mean, at least for Atlanta, you know, I think uh, like Alyssa from Atlanta Bucket was always somebody that I always want to hear from and see things about. Uh, I mean, in general, I guess there's no one specific. You know, like, I don't think I idolize anyone that's like a celebrity in the industry, but like, I, lo- I love hearing from people that do things different in like a weird way, you know, because I think everyone can give you the same advice but it's hard for somebody to give you something completely different out of the box so like and i think you do have a lot of cool like random people and it does like uh it does kind of translate to that thank you very much um Alyssa, i'd love to make it happen next time we're in town and how uh i think i already asked you that question i think we're ready to say goodbye man now's now's when i say seven there is no questioning you are unstoppable thank you cheers man thanks everyone cheers bye-bye There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Seven Chan, for coming back on the show for a second time. And this is something I hope to do more of in the future, uh, approaching a thousand total episodes. Why feed the funnel with new relationships when I can go back to existing relationships and just go deeper in, in the restaurant industry? 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your guests. And that's kind of the mentality that I'm taking here is I think 80% of the great content we're going to get from you is going to come from a lot of our past guests and going deeper and getting more into it, more personal, really drilling down. And I think that's what happened today. So um, more of this coming your way as we're traveling the country and I'm super excited for it. So if you guys are enjoying this podcast and you want more like it, we need your support. We're bringing back the network really never went anywhere, but I, I admittedly tap the brakes on the network to kind of reassess, you know, when you start something, you dive in, you have an idea of how it's going to go. And you assess and you figure like, is this really what I want to do? Is this, is this how I want to continue to go with the restaurant unstoppable? Is this sustainable? And I decided it wasn't sustainable for me in the, the life I wanted to live. And if I'm going to scale this thing, it can't hinge on me being present for everything. So really what we're doing is we're extending trust. We have built this amazing network of people who know a lot more about specific things than I do. And instead of me hosting all these people all the time, I'm just going to handpick people that I trust and say, here's my platform. I trust you to share your knowledge. Go for it. That's kind of the future of the network. And, uh, we're excited about it and we want you to join. So head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com, create a membership. It's $1 a day and you're going to get access to people that are way more intelligent than I am. And we're just getting started. So I'm super excited about that. You can also support our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. You can share this podcast with anybody and everyone, you know, and just thank you so much in advance for your support. We cannot say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi over at Sumadre Podcast for the editing and for the copyright. And thank you to Sam Hall at SavinSam.com for traveling with me and capturing the videography and helping out with social media. You can't do it alone. And I'm so grateful for my team. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.